0: There was a man who went hiking in the woods, and he didn't realize just how bad the bear traffic was. And so he was chased by bears. He was able to shake off one, but the other bear he wasn't able to shake off. And so running as fast as he could, he tripped over a stump and fell on his back, hurting his ankle that he couldn't move. And thus the hungry bear came over him. And the only thing the man could think of is, what do I say now? What do I do now? And he said, well, this is a time for me to pray. I'm not sure where he came up with that prayer, but he prayed, Heavenly Father, in your divine will, make this bear a Christian because I think we'll get along. The last thing that the man saw as a bear stood up right about to devour him, he believed that the bear put his paws together and prayed, Come, Lord Jesus, be... <laughs> the point is that God does answer prayers, and maybe God made the bear a Christian who rightfully prayed before his meal... There's wisdom in that, that God actually does hear and answer our prayers. So we all need to be careful what we what? Ask for. Ask for and pray for. For our Lord tells a parable in which two men pray. Our Lord tells us when we pray, we are not to let the right hand see what the left hand does. For prayer is deep communication with the divine. The divine knows all, but yet we speak to him. And our Lord exalts the person who in humbleness confesses that they're a sinner, not worthy to look up, and God has mercy and grace on him. The publican is shown here, the Pharisee who believed that his works were so great that he didn't need to ask for forgiveness. Thank God he wasn't like the other man who confessed his sin. There's a Sunday school teacher who taught this parable about how bad the Pharisee was and how good the man was who confessed his sin, And at the end, the Sunday school teacher said, let's all now thank God we're not as bad as a Pharisee. Okay? Mm -hmm. Anyways, prayer. The power and problem with prayer, well, it's like this. Prayer is like forgiving someone and practicing Matthew 18. Now, we're all told to forgive, except when we actually have to forgive, and that we find very difficult. I run into many people, including myself, who say I practice Matthew 18, which means if somebody has a difficulty with me or I have a difficulty with someone, I'll go talk to them face-to-face. However, the reality is forgiving someone and talking to someone face-to-face, it sounds good, but very rarely what? Done. Prayer is the same way. We all exalt prayer and talk about how good prayer is. We come down to it, actually, how many minutes a day do we spend in prayer? There's a lot of people who have opinions about school prayer. Should school prayer exist? Some people believe that all our problems in our nation began when we took out school prayer. Some believe that we should have school prayer. But I remember an occasion in my life where someone was going to generously grant our youth group. And the person desired that our church kids in a local high school would begin a prayer group. And after talking to two or three kids, the kids said, really... That time in the morning is not a good time because that's our social time. You can't ask us to pray at that time because that's when we visit with our friends in their lockers. Once again, prayer is adored like forgiving and talking face-to-face, but very rarely done. But the blessing of prayer is that prayer touches and soothes the heart. We don't pray for God, we pray for us. Not in selfishness, but in our prayer there's a deep felt hope and trust and faith in God as he hears us as his dear children. For prayer touches and brings us deep blessings. So I'd like us to refer to what the good Dr. Martin Luther says on prayer. And to do that, let's play some multiple choice. So I looked up a number of topics Luther said about prayer, and let's focus on this. Christians fight best... At congregational meetings? No comments, please. About money? Once again, no comments. On their knees when praying? Or Christians fight best when someone sits in their pews? And what's the correct answer? Christians fight best on their knees when praying. Because God does hear the prayer of God's faithful people, and He does listen to them. And prayer does change by the power of God, in His Word, and His Spirit, our hearts and our attitudes toward others. So Christians fight best on knees when praying. Next, in prayer, one is not to appeal to, which means I'm going to look to this when I pray as if it'll make a more effective prayer, not appeal to their bank account. Look at me, God, how much money I have. Friends who are believers, well, God, you listen to me because I have a lot of friends who are believers. Their own worthiness, much like the publican, are not to appeal to the length of their church membership. In prayer, we're not to appeal to our own worthiness much like the man who confessed his sin. We can't say, God, look how good I am, hence you have to listen to me. We never appeal to our worthiness. We only appeal to Christ's grace. That's why we pray in Jesus' name. Next, in our prayer, God ignores our health- heartfelt concerns. In prayer, God ignores our sighs and moans. In prayer, God ignores Our faith in prayer, God ignores our foolish requests. Which one? Our foolish requests. God does hear our heartfelt concerns. The Spirit intercedes for us, as Romans says, in our deep prayers. And God doesn't ignore our faith. We can call Him our Father and pray to Him as a dear child. God does ignore our foolish requests, like our sports team winning. And by the way, personally, that's never helped me. Or maybe we'd win, or the lucky lottery tickets or whatever, even that the bear not attacked me. God ignores foolish requests, like the bear becoming a Christian. Next, if we don't hear or listen to our own prayers, A, neither does God because it's not a prayer. Two, God understands we're tired. Three, it's a try that counts. Or four, it's okay as long as we have the correct posture. God doesn't hear or listen to our own prayers Neither does God if we don't hear our own prayers. If we don't hear our own prayers, neither does God because it's really not a prayer. If during prayers, as Pastor Loring leads us in prayers, we're thinking about what's for supper, or if the weather's good enough tonight for us to go on a walk, that's really not a prayer. So if we don't hear or listen to our own prayers, neither does God because that's really not a prayer. The rest are self-explanatory. To Luther, one who neglects table prayer. Now I'm talking about praying before we eat. I'm not talking about a snack or uh, a dessert um, by itself. If you want to, you can as well. But we're talking before we sit down for a meal. To Luther, one who neglects table prayer. It's all right. He knows our appetite. We're really hungry, so we don't have to thank him. Or God knows deep down inside we're thankful, so we don't have to express it. It's as if pigs are to the trough and have taken our fill. Or is understandable as prayer can offend others. May I ask you, do you pray in public? Like if you go out to a restaurant and eat? Have you prayed at Applebee's? Or maybe at McDonald's or any other restaurant restaurants you prayed at? Well, the correct answer is three. To one, Luther says, now once again, Luther has a sharp wit and sense of humor and sometimes can be offensive. Luther says, a person who sits down to eat and not pray is like a pig at the trough to take their fill. Luther says, please take a time as God's people to pray. So Luther talks about prayer. Now, in John chapter 17, the ascended and resurrected Lord encircles us and embraces us in prayer. He sits at the right hand, God, in a position of power, and God loves us dearly enough that Jesus prays for us. Now, Jesus' first part of the prayer is for himself, and it would seem rather conceited and in vain to pray for glory. We don't. We don't pray that people love us and like us and that somehow we're rewarded and somehow we're bathed in worldly goods. But Jesus prays for glory. What do I mean by that? For the glory of a son who obeys his Father's will. For the glory of a son who gives his life that all might be saved. He prays for glory that he himself resurrected might give glory to the Father who authored salvation. His entire prayer is drenched with glory. Not vanity or conceit, but humility, obedience, and praise. He prays for glory between him and his Father, that others might see his great act of dying and rising and ascending. And then here's the beauty of that prayer Jesus prays for others he prays for us. We are the priesthood of believers. We are actually priests. And when that gets said, that becomes very confusing because we sometimes relate priests to Roman Catholic clergy. No, we are priests with a small p. We're the priesthood of believers because God has given us the power to pray for others and even to forgive others their sins in the name of Jesus. As Peter says, we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation of people belonging to God. So Jesus prays for us. The priest cares for the priests. The priest cares for priests who pray. The priest cares and prays for the priesthood believers because who's who we are. God enables us, the ascended Lord enables us to participate in ministry as he works to us and through us. And then Jesus prays this. The Father has called us. We are not here because we somehow chose Jesus or made a decision for Jesus on a certain day. That's not why we're here. We are here because God has called us into faith. He chose us from the creation of the world and he baptized us and he brought us to faith through the hearing of the word. He has called us as God desires all to be saved. Now see these words from Jesus. So Jesus tells the Father, they were yours, they are your people, and you gave them to me. I have revealed you to those you gave me out of the world. God has called us out of this sinful world into his marvelous light. John 17 and First Peter says, For you are a royal priesthood, a chosen nation. He prays for us that God has called out uh, of this world. That's not something we did, that's something that God has done for us. And then Jesus prays for the church, not for the world. He prays for those people who are believers. This isn't a prayer for the whole world, but for those who are believers because Jesus knows that the church will be persecuted. And he prays this, protect them by the power of your name. Jesus prays to protect us. We need protection. From what? Well, the temptations of the world. I'm tempted by the temptations of the world. I enjoyed my stimulus from the government. I wish my team would win. I like glory. I like people complimenting me. We like to be the prettiest, the fanciest, the most handsome, the most daring, the most dashing, the most successful. We pray for Jesus to protect us from the temptations of this world which ultimately lead to nothing. They will vanish on Judgment Day. What are your temptations? What are things that you're tempted by? Fame, money, possessions, popularity, Jesus also pray because we believe Jesus is the only real God. And that puts us in opposition with a world that holds that all views and religions are correct, that Jesus is just one of many possible alternatives. But we pray that Jesus is the only real God. We confess that in our creeds. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, no one else does. And we believe in truth and oppose evil, and today that will get us into trouble. We hold to marriage and we hold to the sanctity of life we hold that there's rights and wrongs and we hold that there's proper ways to do things and not do things and we need protecting from it because in the past god's people and god's prophets have been persecuted and finally jesus prays that we might be one in Tolkien's epic the Lord of the Rings, uh, which does reflect Christianity. Tolkien had a profound impact on C.S. Lewis. This is Hladir, and Hladir says this. He speaks this when facing the dark foes of us, the dark foes of mankind who God has called, who God has created. He says the power of estrangement. What What does he mean by that? When we aren't united, we give the devil and our enemy a foothold. They divide us so that we aren't united as one. He talks about the power of estrangement being a great power of the enemy because if we are not united, then we are divided and we are weaker. I love this illustration from another film, Miracles, on last night. Power is given to Satan to this unity of believers. In the movie, the coach, Herb Brooks, he tells his players many All-Americans with future rich um, possibilities in NHL, rich contracts. He said, "Remember this: the name on the front of the shirt is worth a lot more than the name on the what? Back of the church." Jesus prays that we have unity. The power in estrangement. We're divided. It empowers Satan. In disunity, we enable Satan. When we're together, or not. So Jesus prays for us who are called, protected from the temptations of the world, protected from being called exclusive and hateful. Protection because we claim the truth and then we might have unity in the faith of believers. The shepherd who becomes the lamb who gives his life prays for his sheep. The priest prays for his priest, known as capital P and small p. What? That we might understand the glory of Jesus who died and rose in heaven and given us his glory. What does he we pray for? He prays that He called us from the world, that we'd be protected, that we'd be one in the faith, that we see him as the only true God who loves us dearly. The power of prayer, and we pray that as well. The ascended Lord prays and cares for us that much. So how about this for a closing thought? Hear these words now. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen.